All right, well, you all know uh, uh, that uh, we're in this study of Daniel, uh, and we're calling this study uh, The Faithfulness of a Great Man and the Sovereignty of Our Great God. And we come today to uh, Daniel 6, which is the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. So uh, we're talking about Daniel. We're talking about a man with, with impeccable integrity. Uh, and when I think about that, I thought of our 16th president, uh, Honest Abe Lincoln. Just jumped a few ahead of you there. Uh, Honest Abe Lincoln. And uh, he, he earned this nickname uh, as a young man working as a store clerk uh, in Salem, Illinois. Uh, and the stories of him uh, traveling miles to return uh, pennies uh, to customers who he accidentally shortchanged are, are part of his legend. And people recognized his integrity uh, early on. Uh, and so uh, they, they, they called on him. They said, uh, we need you to mediate this dispute. And he was often tabbed as the judge or the mediator uh, for you know, fights and contests and various disputes that were going on. And According to uh, Robert Rutledge, who was one of his peers uh, from New Salem, they said, uh, or he said, that Lincoln's judgment was final in that region of the country. Uh, people relied implicitly on his honesty, his integrity, and his impartiality. Well, those very traits, his honesty and his integrity, were the things that launched his political career. Uh, as a member of the Illinois legislature and then later in his law practice, uh, these, uh, reputa the reputation that he had for honesty and integrity, well, they uh, allowed him to win four terms uh, in the legislature. And even Lincoln's political enemies knew that there was no way they were ever going to beat Lincoln by attacking his uh, integrity, like we see with the political smears that happen on our uh, televisions these days. They weren't going to get at Lincoln that way. If they were going to get at him, there was going to have to be, they were going to have to beat him on the issues. So when Stephen Douglas learned uh, that Lincoln was challenging his Senate seat, uh, Douglas said, I shall have my hands full. He is a strong man of his party, full of wit, facts, dates, and the best stump speaker with his uh, droll ways and his dry jokes uh, in the West. He is as honest as he is shrewd, and if I'm going to beat him, the victory will be hardly won. So, uh, where the Lincoln-Douglas debates are famous, of course, Lincoln lost that election. Uh, but two years later, when Douglas and Lincoln ran against each other for United States president, uh, when Douglas learned that Lincoln won, uh, Douglas said, you have nominated a very honest and able man. Uh, one of Lincoln's closest friends, a man by the name of Leonard Sweat, wrote about Lincoln. He believed in the great laws of truth the right discharge of duty, his accountability to God, and the ultimate triumph of the right and the overflow of the wrong. Well, what incredible things to have said about you, right? Wouldn't it be amazing uh, if people said these exact same things about us? Well, uh, integrity, honesty, a reputation for fair dealings, accountability for God, uh, to God, good character. This earns the respect of friends and even enemies. Even our enemies have to respect us, and they respected Lincoln uh, even though uh, they were his enemies. And this only happens from a lifetime of doing what's right over and over again. And Daniel was such a man, a man of integrity. Uh, we've seen this throughout the book. In Daniel 1, he's taken away uh, as a teenager uh, to exile in Babylon, and he won't eat the king's choice foods and wine because they would have defiled him according to the law. 
And so he insisted on only vegetables. And when he proved to be wise, uh, he was uh, adopted into a part of Nebuchadnezzar's cabinet. Uh, in chapter 2, Daniel uh, interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, even though he had to tell Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom would eventually collapse and that it would be followed by another. In Daniel chapter 4, Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's tree dream, even though he had to tell Nebuchadnezzar, uh, because you have not humbled yourself, you are going to be made like the beasts of the field for a period of seven years until uh, you, Nebuchadnezzar, acknowledge that it is God uh, who appoints kings and deposes them. And then in Daniel chapter 5, uh, Daniel tells Belshazzar, uh, you are a fool. Uh, you have relied foolishly on these walls. You have not learned the lessons of your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and you will be humbled because you have taken Israel's goblets and you have desecrated them at this unholy party which you have thrown. Your, your leadership has been weighed and it has been found wanting. Uh, and this very night, your kingdom will be taken from you. Well, Daniel did all these things in chapters 1 through 5. Uh, and he was a man of great integrity. No threat against his person or against his character could cause him to do anything uh, that would disparage God or dishonor his own reputation. And perhaps no other chapter in all of Daniel uh, represents the, the title of the study that we've, we've chosen for, uh, for Daniel, uh, the faithfulness of a great man and the sovereignty of our great God better than chapter 6. We see both of these things in Daniel chapter 6. In the first half, Daniel proves his faithfulness to God. Uh, he will not stop uh, his habit of praying to the Lord. And he's, he's this victim of conspiracy uh, to try and kill him. Uh, but he chose the lion's den over uh, breaking fellowship with the Lord uh, and compromising his devotion to God. And then in the second half of Daniel chapter 6, God rewards Daniel's great uh, faithfulness by closing the mouths of the lions. And so in these early chapters of Daniel, we just see repeatedly what is happening is Daniel is demonstrating his faith and character. And what we're seeing from God is that he continually, he, he's, if we look closely, it's a contest constantly against Daniel's God and the Babylonian gods. Israel is in exile. Uh, and, and so uh, they're in a foreign land. And, and is God powerful enough to rescue Israel even in a foreign land? Well, over and over he proves that he is. He constantly defeats these Babylonian gods, proving that he is sovereign. So we have the faithfulness of a great man, the sovereignty of a great God. Uh, what, what, the, what does integrity look like when, when we think about Daniel's life? When we think about people you know who, who have great integrity and who love the Lord, well, that's the first characteristic, right? They love God. Their walk is consistent. They're, they're not hypocritical. They don't do one thing uh, while saying that they're doing something else. And they don't lie or, or change their behavior for a political or social or monetary gain. Nothing changes their behavior. They are uh, as, as straight as can be. Nothing gets them off of their character. And Lincoln had these qualities, and so did Daniel. And so if you and I are going to make disciples, if we're going to be Christ followers who are attractive to people and people who we want to, 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 to have others come up to us and say, what is it about you? How do you maintain your integrity in such a world? We want to live like Daniel, who lived like the characteristics that, that Jesus exhibited as well, obviously after Daniel's time. But, but these are Christ-like characteristics that Daniel exhibited, and we need to do that too. So as we come to, to Daniel chapter 6, 
You know, this is often a story that is portrayed in children's books, in cartoons, on flannel graphs, if you had them in Sunday school when you were a kid, right? Uh, it's often portrayed as a, a true story, but, but sometimes we fail to grasp that this is a real story. This is a factual story. This actually happened. Uh, and it shows the integrity that we have to have as Christians and the sovereignty of our great God who respects and honors uh, our uh, our humility and our integrity. So if, if we're going to be witnesses to this world that is so lost and so out for itself, these are the qualities that we need to have. Uh, we want to be like Christ, just like Daniel was. So let's think about uh, Daniel chapter, verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and talk about Daniel's extraordinary spirit. That's verses 1 through 3. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom to be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, so that these satraps would be accountable to them, and that the king would not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself above the commissioners and satraps, because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. <clears throat> All right, so we're introduced to this man, Darius, in verse 1. We're actually introduced to him back at the end of chapter 5, verse 31, where it says, So Darius the, the Mede inherited the kingdom at the age of 62. So uh, we're, 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 we're now out of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. We're, we're past several other kings, and now we are in the reign of Cyrus, which raises an interesting question. Who is this man, this Darius the Mede? Uh, there is a historical problem here. This man Darius is not mentioned in any historical records. He's not known to history at all, except for what we have here in uh, Daniel chapter 5 and Daniel chapter 6. So we, we want to ask this question. Uh, in the historical record, there is no room for Darius. There's a series of Persian kings. Cyrus is one of them. It's 539 BC. Cyrus is the king. So Darius cannot be the king. So uh, what has happened over time is that scholars have debated, of course, who this Darius is. And of course, the critical ones have attacked the book of Daniel, saying Daniel got his facts wrong. This cannot be right. It's impossible that Daniel uh, was a prophet because he couldn't even get the name of this Darius wrong. So uh, what's the deal with Darius? Who is this guy, uh, and, and did Daniel make a mistake? Well, the arguments about his identity can get really technical, and, and I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds here uh, with who this Darius might have been, but I am going to mention two possibilities. And the first one is this, that he was the same person as Cyrus. And under this theory, uh, the name Darius is another name for Cyrus, or maybe it's a title uh, that Cyrus had. Uh, and proponents of this view point out that they would have to be the same person because there's no way Darius would be, uh, as a subordinate, be, in, be given enough power uh, to uh, appoint 120 satraps and organize a government over uh, the kingdom of Babylon, as he did in verse 1. So uh, maybe he was the same person as Cyrus. Uh, the other possibility is that actually he was a subordinate of Cyrus, but acting with Cyrus's authority. So if this theory is true, the way uh, the proponents argue this is that Darius was actually the same person as a man that history knows as the General Gubaru, who was actually the one who led the attack on Babylon and defeated uh, Babylon uh, under Persian command. So the historical records show 
that uh, Cyrus didn't actually enter the kingdom of Babylon until 17 days after Guberu conquered it. So what the, what the uh, proponents of this theory say is that uh, Darius ruled for 17 days. He was keeping Cyrus's seat warm for him till Cyrus could come. Cyrus came, overlooked everything that happened, uh, thought that Darius did a good job, and then appointed Darius as uh, the, the governor of this particular province before Cyrus returning home himself. So I happen to think that this is the most likely view, uh, not a hill that I'm gonna die on, uh, but what I'm gonna say is that I think this is probably the one that's most likely to be right. Uh, Darius was likely acting with Cyrus's authority uh, to form a government that would work. So uh, I won't delve into any deeper theories. I think I'm gonna go with this one. So Darius appoints 120 satraps over the kingdom of Babylon, which according to Esther, the book of Esther, Babylon was only one of 127 provinces in the entire kingdom. So you can imagine the vast kingdom that we're talking about here. And the word satrap means protector of the kingdom. So as we get deeper into the story and read about what these satraps did, it's kind of ironic that they're called protectors of the kingdom. Uh, Daniel was one of three commissioners who was appointed over these 120 satraps. So you have Cyrus, you have Darius, you have these three commissioners, and then 120 satraps. Uh, that's the form of government. So the verses tell us, though, that, that Daniel began to distinguish himself above the other two commissioners and the other satraps. So Darius was considering elevating him above the two commissioners, thus creating another level of government with, with Daniel over the two commissioners who were then over the satraps. So uh, because he possessed this extraordinary spirit. And that's what's so interesting. Uh, Daniel had an extraordinary spirit. Now, Darius certainly would have recognized this spirit if the other commissioners had it. Apparently they did not, and so this would create jealousy, resentment, all kinds of issues between these leaders. But speaking of people with extraordinary spirits, have you ever known people like this? Like people when you just look at their face and you can see the light of God shining from their face in a way that just seems different from other people. Uh, you can tell with, just by being that with them for a short time that they seem to have an extra measure of intelligence, wisdom, grace, uh, you know, people who are just able to, to always seem to do what the godly response would be uh, at all times. And Daniel was such a man. Uh, as I said last week, uh, he served six Babylonian kings and just continued to rise up through the empire no matter who was on the throne. And now he's in, uh, he's in the same, uh, in a different kingdom. He's serving a new king, and yet he still continues to be recognized, to be noticed, and to rise up uh, in government, even though he's a foreigner living in a foreign land. And he's now in his 80s, and he's still advancing in the kingdom. And so the other uh, commissioners, they recognized what was about to happen with Daniel, and they were not about to stand for Daniel being made ruler over them. And so they hatched this conspiracy that we read about in verses 4 uh, through 9. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel regarding government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption because he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. And then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him regarding the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. 
all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the counselors, the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who offers a prayer to any god or person besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it will not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. And thereupon, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Now, aren't these guys crafty? Uh, aren't they, they, they just know how to appeal to Darius's ego, right? And, and stroke it just the way they needed to, to accomplish what they needed to accomplish. Uh, the text doesn't actually explicitly tell us why uh, these commissioners wanted to be rid of Daniel. Uh, but there are several reasons why, right? First of all, he's a foreigner living in a foreign land, and they, they may have had that bias against him. It could also be that his integrity made it hard for these officials to skim off the top, right? It's very hard to be engaged in corruption yourself when you have somebody watching over you like Daniel was. If Daniel was going to be there, they were going to have to play by the rules. Or it may have been that they were just jealous, just supremely jealous over Daniel and the fact that he uh, was going to rise higher in the kingdom than they were. So these qualities uh, that, that Daniel had, that these wicked men saw in Daniel, these are the same qualities that the rulers of Persia and Babylon before saw in him. And that's why he continued to advance in the kingdom. He was trustworthy. There was no negligence in him. He wasn't lazy. He always worked to advance uh, the king and the welfare of the kingdom. And he wasn't corrupt. And so uh, they knew there's no way we are going to get to Daniel by trying to deal uh, politically, uh, just like Lincoln's uh, uh, enemies realized that against him. There's no way they were going to get to him that way. Uh, so what these guys decided to do was they had to hatch a conspiracy. Uh, they would have to trap him in his own religion, and they came up with this ingenious, devious scheme, one that, that played on Darius' own ego, uh, and one that they knew, they knew uh, would catch Daniel in a snare. So they lie to Darius. Uh, first of all, they say, uh, we have consulted with all the commissioners, the prefects, the satraps. Now, obviously, they didn't consult with all of them because they didn't consult with Daniel, right? Who certainly never would have agreed to such a thing. But Darius didn't ask enough questions, right? Apparently, uh, they hit him right where he lives, where he wanted to be stroked. And, and, and Darius thought, well, this is, this is a great idea. You want to worship me and me only for 30 days? Uh, where do I sign, right? And so Darius got sucked into this thing, and he signed the law, which according to the tradition of the Medes and the Persians, this law cannot be revoked. And any violators would be thrown into the lion's den. Well, imagine yourself in Daniel's shoes. What would you do? What would you do if you were in Daniel's shoes? I think it's a question worth asking because I don't think that this is on the near, very near horizon in our country, but y'all are very well aware that persecution of Christians is very much on the rise in our country. And it's not unthinkable uh, that the government might pass a law uh, saying we're going to take your Bibles or you're not allowed to pray to God in public or, or something like that. So what would you do if the government said something like that to you? You can't, you can't read your Bible in public. You can't pray in public. You can't go to church. What would you do? It's a question worth asking. Uh, if the government passed a law that said you must worship the president of the United States for 30 days and him only, or you'll be thrown into the lion's den, uh, what would you do? <laughs>
especially now, right? What would you do? Um, <laughs> be a hard, hard question. Well, Daniel had a decision to make, didn't he? Uh, and we learn here that the conspiracy was successful, wasn't it? Uh, let's read verses 10 through 16. Now, when Daniel learned that the document was signed, he entered his house and in his roof chamber, he had his windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and offering praise before his God, just as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel offering a prayer and imploring favor before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any person who offers a prayer to any god or person besides you, O king, for 30 days, is to be thrown into the lion's den? And the king replied, The statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they responded and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you sign, but he keeps offering his prayer three times a day. And then, as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on rescuing Daniel. And until sunset, he kept exerting himself to save him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said, Recognize, O king, that is the, it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed." Well, you can imagine these guys thinking, whoa, man, we got one over on Darius and we are going to get what we want. We are going to get Daniel into that lion's den and our problems are going to be over. Well, Daniel, he knew that the law had been passed, right? And he also knew why the law had been passed. He knew they were out to destroy him. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face the same decision. Bow down before this 90-foot gold statue, or you are going into the fiery furnace. And these guys refused to do it. They said, uh, King, you don't need us to think about this for very long. We will not bow down to your gold statue. Our God can rescue us, but even if he does not, we will not bow down to that gold statue. And so Daniel's in the same position. I'm going to keep praying. And if I end up in the lion's den, I end up in the lion's den. And I'm going to trust God to protect me. So Daniel knew the law was passed. He knew the consequences uh, for violating. And immediately he continues his practice. He goes up on his roof and he kneels uh, in prayer to the one true God. And that's dependence, and that's trust, and that's belief that even though he knows he's going to get caught, he believes God can rescue him, and he has the same attitude as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even if he does not, I will not stop praying to the Lord. And so the conspirators caught Daniel doing exactly what they knew he would be doing. They knew they would catch Daniel because Daniel was always praying to God. And so uh, this conspiracy uh, was very well executed because it stroked Darius on the one hand and they knew they would catch Daniel on the other hand. Now, Daniel's walk with God was such that he would not compromise. And our walk, your walk, my walk should evidence the same type of no compromise. It should demonstrate that we love and we follow Jesus. And you know, we can wear crosses around our necks and we can put bumper stickers on our cars. Uh, but when the rubber really meets the road, like when we are challenged with, uh, with what are we going to do if we're going to get thrown into the lion's den or if we're going to be persecuted by uh, people around us, what are we going to do? Well, people should know. They should know we are Christians by how we behave. And it should be as easy to convict you and me 
as being, of being Christians as it was for them to convict Daniel of continuing to pray to God. And so what are we doing, you and I, uh, that exhibits, that exemplifies this proof to the world uh, that we are Christians, that we love the Lord and that we follow Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead and that we're living to please him as best we can. Well, John 13 says they all know we are Christians by our love. Uh, how are we loving others? Uh, it says they will know if, they, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So how are we doing at keeping his commandments and doing what the Lord wants us to do? So uh, let's just give the world plenty of evidence that we are Christians so that we will be easy to convict. There's also a very strong uh, testimony here about when we obey the government, right? The Bible uh, is clear that we obey the government unless the government demands that we do things that violate our faith or break God's commands. And so uh, in, in the book of Acts, Peter and the apostles were going around proclaiming the name Jesus and they arrested them and they said, you will not proclaim the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, well, you tell me, is it right to obey God or to obey man? Uh, we're going to continue to obey God. And they continue to go out and, pro and uh, proclaim the name of Jesus. So if the government contradicts a law of God, we obey God rather than men, and we just leave the consequences with God. Well, these conspirators, uh, they were so coy, weren't they? They were so crafty in how they approached Darius the king. In verse 13, uh, they knew Darius made the law. At verse 13, they spring the trap. They said, King, didn't you, didn't you make a law? I seem to recall that you made a law, right? As though, as though uh, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. Uh, and so then they spring the trap and they say, Daniel, uh, this Daniel, he is not one of us. Uh, he doesn't uh, pay any heed to your laws. He, he doesn't care about what you've said. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's a traitor. Uh, he's a, a rebel. Uh, he's committed treason against you, Darius. And Darius realized that he was trapped uh, he knew that he was trapped. Any statute signed into law uh, could not be revoked according to the Medes and Persian uh, tradition. And this is why uh, the, Mede, the Medo-Persian kingdom was seen by Daniel and in Nebuchadnezzar's dream as less than the Babylonian kingdom. That's why it's represented by silver, whereas the Babylonian kingdom was represented by gold. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute authoritarian. Uh, he could make a rule today and revoke it tomorrow and then make it the next day and revoke it the next day. He could do whatever he wanted. Uh, but the Medo-Persian government did not have that. They couldn't do that. And so Darius is trying to devise a way to release Daniel, but these men reminded him, O king, uh, you cannot revoke this law. Uh, and so uh, Darius realizes that he's powerless to change this law. And so nothing can be done except that Daniel has to be thrown into the lion's den, verses 16 through 24. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and thrown into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, your God, whom you continually serve, will himself rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing could be changed regarding Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king got up at dawn at the break of day and went in a hurry to the lion's den. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king began speaking and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? 
Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. May my God sent his angel, shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me since I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Verse 23, then the king was very glad and gave orders for Daniel to be lifted up out of the den. So Daniel was lifted up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they threw them, their children and their wives into the lion's den and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Well, Daniel had proved his faithfulness, right? And he obeyed God and he trusted God with whatever the outcome would be. And I think Darius's parting words to Daniel before he went into the lion's den are significant. Uh, Your God, whom you continually serve, he will deliver you. It's as though Darius was saying, I've tried everything in my power to save you. It's beyond my power. Now your God will have to rescue you. And I think it's, it's quite something that, that, that Darius even believed there was a possibility uh, that Daniel's God might save him. And it shows probably that Daniel had been telling the king stories of his God and, and, and what his God had done. Uh, and maybe uh, Darius believed or held out hope uh, that, that Daniel's God could save him. It does make you wonder, though, how Darius could have fallen for such a scheme to begin with, right? Um, when we think about that, uh, why didn't he go to Daniel? Why didn't he ask Daniel? And it seems like only the allure of the praise of men uh, is, can be the explanation. Uh, he just wanted to be praised, and he got, he got drawn into this conspiracy, and the allure of being worshipped was too much for him, even though he knew Daniel uh, was going to raise him up higher in the kingdom, and he knew about uh, what God had done. Well, what would it be like uh, to be lowered into a lion's den. I don't know how exactly Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. I don't know if he was thrown in or lowered by a rope or, or how he was. Uh, but imagine being lowered in by rope, just to take that for example, and you're looking down at these snarling, you know, foul-breathed, hot-breathed lions just waiting uh, to devour you, right? Well, I can't imagine the terror of what that would be like. But as he's coming down this rope, the lion's just imagining, they back off, right? They form a circle uh, around Daniel and they look at him, but they don't do anything. Like, can you imagine what Daniel is thinking? Like, is God going to save me? Is God not going to save me? You know, if the lions were going to eat him, they wouldn't have waited for him to hit the ground, right? They all would have jumped up and the one who jumped the highest would have gotten a meal. And so I think Daniel knew like before he even hit the ground that God is going to protect me in this thing. And if those lions were going to eat Daniel, they would have done it long before they rolled the stone over and sealed it with the ring, right? I mean, it would have been all over long before then. Uh, so Daniel, I think, knows that God is going to protect him within seconds. But Darius doesn't know this, right? Darius, he goes home, uh, doesn't take any entertainment. It's a, it's a sleepless night. He goes home to fast, right? A practice that he probably learned from Daniel, uh, so uh, that's, that's really something. And so uh, he spends these endless hours uh, overnight and then runs down to the lion's den and calls out to Daniel. So the king is holding out hope that maybe he's alive. And I just picture a moment after, da after Darius cries out, uh, just maybe a second or two of anticipation. And then Daniel's voice cries out, uh, O king, live forever. What a moment 
that must have been, right? What a moment. It's impossible to close the mouths of lions. It's absolutely impossible to do that. No pagan god could close the mouths of Daniel's or of these lions. And so once again, God chose himself victorious over these wicked pagan men and over the pagan gods. God is sovereign. Uh, and so Darius learns this. And Darius wasn't alone, right? There were lots of people around. The king never travels alone. And so he's got an entourage and, and they all see this. And can you imagine the testimony of these folks after they had seen this miracle? So Daniel testified that the angels closed the mouths of the lions because in verse 22, Daniel says, I am innocent against God, King Darius. I'm innocent before you and I have committed no crime. Which makes you think it's no crime to break God's law. It's no crime if you keep God's laws, even though you're breaking the laws of men, because those laws are unjust. They're not godly laws. And so that's why we follow the laws of God rather than the laws of men. I wonder if Daniel saw the angel or if he just knew it was the angel's work to close these lions' mouths. Uh, but either way, God sovereignly rewarded Daniel's trust. Verse 23 says he saved Daniel because Daniel trusted God. And it's amazing how God can turn the tables uh, on evildoers, right? The wicked Haman uh, in the book of Esther ended up being hanged on the very gallows he built to have Mordecai hanged. Proverbs 26, verse 27 says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will fall back on him. And that's exactly what happened to these wicked men in the book of Daniel who tried to eliminate him. Not only the conspirators, but also their children and also their wives. Now, that might seem harsh, that might seem unfair, but this was the practice of the Medes and Persians. It would serve as a strong deterrent, right, against other crimes. Uh, not only are you going to get fed to the lions, but your wives and kids also. And it eliminates any potential uh, retaliation since the kids uh, won't grow up and kill him because they're already gone. So uh, Daniel knew uh, that God had saved him, and Darius knew that his most trusted advisors had tricked him. And I bet that he didn't lose any sleep that night as he was thinking about these men being thrown into the lion's den. And now the result of all this is Darius's decree. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and populations of all languages who were living in all the land, may your peace be great. I issue a decree that in all the realm of my kingdom, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will live forever. He rescues, saves, and performs signs and miracles in heaven and earth. He who has also rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Darius's testimony reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar's testimony at the end of chapter 4, right? Uh, he honored and praised uh, Daniel's God above the other gods. And so like Nebuchadnezzar, we're left to speculate about whether we might even see Darius the Mede in heaven, uh, who uh, has the same kind of testimony. Uh, so we will find out when we get there, won't we? Uh, but I just want to ask a question, and that is, why do we think God does miracles? What is the purpose of God's miracles. Now, in this particular instance, 
God did a miracle to save his faithful and trusted servant, Daniel. But that's not all it was about, right? It wasn't only about Daniel. Uh, it was also about God demonstrating that he is powerful enough uh, to do what he says he will do, to do anything beyond what these people believe that pagan gods could do. He is the supreme ruler of the universe, and he's worthy of worship. And he also does miracles because he's looking to reach the lost, right? How many people do you think believed in the God of Israel after they saw what happened with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Or how many believed after they saw what happened here with Daniel? Uh, a God who has the power to close the mouths of lions has the power to save them from death, and it, he has the power to save us from death too. And that's the gospel, isn't it? God has the power to save us from death. It's God's promise to us, the gospel, is that though we are sinners uh, deserving death uh, in the lion's den ourselves, so to speak, only waiting our deaths to go into eternal punishment, God can raise us from the dead too. And not because of anything we've done, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ did. The second person of the holy and eternal trinity became a man and lived a perfect, holy, sinless life on our behalfs, in our place, a life that we could never live. And then he went to the cross to receive the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And God raised him from the dead, which is obviously a miracle. And he did it, of course, because death cannot hold God, but also to show us that if God could raise Jesus from the dead, well, he can raise us from the dead too. And if we trust him for salvation, God promises that he will. And so we can point to Daniel as this great man of integrity, and surely he was. But no one ever had more integrity than the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He never sinned, not even once. He prayed to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking if there was any other way to accomplish the salvation of mankind. Uh, he sweat drops of blood waiting for an answer. But at all times, he said, Lord, God, not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus knew that he had to go to the cross to accomplish the salvation of mankind. And he could easily have avoided it by killing all of his enemies with a single word. But then he would not have been able to purchase our salvation. And that is integrity, brothers and sisters. He loved sacrificially, even though it sent him to the cross to die a most excruciating death. And that is what we trust in for our salvation. And so uh, we are called to do the same in terms of living just and holy lives and being faithful to God, even if it costs us everything, even like Daniel was prepared to lose everything to honor his Lord. Let's close with a couple of quick applications. You know, I've, I've told you uh, that uh, I teach uh, a Christian worldview class to teenagers up the road in the uh, town uh, North Presbyterian Church. And what I tell them and what I tell you is practice your faith boldly. <laughs> we need to learn to practice our faith boldly. When you talk to, to teenagers, uh, they come from various walks of life. Uh, and they don't all have the same story. Uh, and and it's, it's interesting to me as I talk to them that, that they, don't, they don't know because they've never been a part of a time uh, in their lives when saying Merry Christmas was like a, a joyous wish to each other rather than you offensively projecting your faith onto someone else. Or they've never known a time when, when the media or, or social media didn't mock their faith as Christians. And they've never really known a time when, uh, back in the old days, when, when being called a Christian was a good thing. And now it's, it's not so much being a good thing anymore. It's, it's now something to be ridiculed. 
And so there's a stigma now attached to being a Christian uh, that seems to uh, permeate our world. And so my answer to that is the only answer to that is to practice our faith boldly. Not we shouldn't shrink back. We should practice our faith boldly. We should, we should practice our faith like Daniel did. You know, the number one complaint about Christians is what? What's the number one complaint? What are we? We're hypocrites. Yeah, we are hypocrites. We say one thing and we do another. So if we're going to, to crush that, if we're going to, to live lives that, that will be pleasing to God and will be attractive to people, we need to not be hypocrites. And so if we practice our faith boldly, if we have the faith and the integrity of Daniel, I think we'll be much more attractive, uh, not only to the younger generation, but to all people uh, who are so lost and in so, such desperate need for the gospel. So practice your faith boldly and remember that God protects his people. We saw it in the fiery furnace. We see it in the lion's den. We see it throughout the Bible. God has the resources to protect his own. And that doesn't mean that he will save us from every fiery trial that we go through. But he does promise that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will always be with us no matter what trials we are going through. He sent an angel to close the lion's mouth. That's amazing. Maybe you have your own story about how God saved you from disaster, uh, from severe illness, from loneliness, from financial devastation. God closes the mouths of the lions in our lives too. And so we're never truly alone when we have trusted in Jesus for salvation. His Holy Spirit dwells within us. He watches over us. Even death cannot separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. And I love Romans 8:38 and 39. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an amazing, fantastic couple of verses. So be encouraged, uh, have integrity, trust in the Lord, practice your faith boldly. God protects his people and we can trust God to fulfill his end of the promises. He always has, he always will. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for Daniel chapter 6. It is a phenomenal story that uh, sometimes we can almost uh, take for granted because we know it so well. And I pray that today we have uh, just looked at this story anew, Lord, and, and seen your miraculous hand at work and trust, Lord, that uh, what you have done for Daniel, uh, you can do for us as well, Lord, and you have promised to do that because of the faith we have in Jesus Christ, Lord. Uh, you brought Daniel back from sure death and you will bring us back from the dead too. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who accomplished all these things on the cross for us. And it's in his matchless name that we pray, Lord. Amen.